0: Amen. Thank you, Kim. And um, thank you, Chapel Hill, for letting us have Kim on our staff at Transform Minnesota. She has been a blessing to have, and uh, we're really grateful to have her on our team. And I just also want to say to Chapel Hill, thank you for the ways that you have partnered with us at Transform Minnesota. Um, We've had gatherings here in your space, we've had seminars, we've had all staff gatherings. Multiple times, and you've also been engaged with us financially to support the ministry of Transform Minnesota. And so um, I'm just really grateful for that. I want to say thank you uh, for your part. But um, I want to start today by uh, reminding you of a famous Bible story. It's the story of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. When he challenged the prophets of Baal to see which God was going to send down fire from heaven to burn up their sacrifice, right? To, to light their at sacrifice on fire. So Elijah was a faithful follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he was a prophet. And he kept reminding the people of God's covenant with them. And he instructed them of the ways that they were supposed to live and following God. And he. He worked by God's hand. He worked miracles. He brought people to life even. And what would happen, though, is the people of Israel kept wandering away and following other gods, other idols. And in fact, there were about 450 prophets of Baal, this uh, false god that the people of Israel were always being drawn to, to worship. And so Elijah wanted to try and prove that Yahweh was the true and living and real God. And so he sets up this challenge. So he invites the Baal worshipers to come together and uh, build an altar and put wood and put meat on that altar. And then he says, now pray to your God and ask your God to send down fire and, and light your, your sacrifice on fire. And um, so they do this, right? And if you know that, you remember the story and you go back into First uh, Kings, you can read this story. They, they sing and they dance and they walk around their altar calling on their God, trying to get them to um, light their sacrifice on fire. And then Elijah even begins to taunt them and says, maybe your God is sleeping. And they you know, begin going to even more extremes and they start cutting themselves. Finally, um, Elijah goes to his altar Uh, where he prepares his sacrifice and he has these 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he puts the, the wood on top of it and then the meat. And then he asks them to bring these big vats of water, right? And he ends up pouring 12 vats of water over top of this sacrifice, completely soaking everything that's there. The wood and the water runs off the altar down into the trenches. Everything is completely soaked. And with hundreds of people standing around and watching him, including the, the prophets of Baal that he's invited to come together and to challenge them and these people who, you know, taunt him and, you know, uh, despise him, ridicule him. Elijah asked God to send down fire and to burn his sacrifice and he, and he prays, he says, "'O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel.'" and that I am your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Could you imagine the kind of the desperation in his voice when he's saying that at that moment? He's like, God, I have put myself out here. I have soaked this altar in water, and I'm in front of all these people, and I'm declaring that you are the true God, and he's like, God, answer me. Answer me and prove that you are Lord alone. He had gone all in. He had gone all in and risked his entire reputation and standing in this community. And God didn't disappoint, right? God sends down fire from the sky. I imagine it being something like lightning. Um, They don't call it lightning. They call it a fire from heaven. Um, And this, this fire comes down and it consumes the offering, it consumes the wood, it, it, the stones, and it licks up the dust and the water that was in the trench all around it. Imagine what Elijah must have felt like at that moment, and that just that exhilaration, that joy, that, that sense of satisfaction, like, God, I put myself out here completely, and I have watched you do something supernatural, unbelievable, that I can't even think is possible. And so what happens after this is Elijah orders that the prophets of Baal be killed. And of course, that makes the queen, Jezebel, very angry. And so she gives out orders to kill him. Now, how would you feel if you 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 have now angered the queen, but yet you've also just seen God send down fire from heaven and burn up your altar, right? And now the queen is sending her, her soldiers after you to get you and kill you. You might be a little bit... Um, you know, you might be a little bit proud and sure of yourself. You might be saying, all right, hey, go ahead, Queen Jezebel, Um, bring it on, right? I just saw God bring fire down from heaven and consume all this, the stones and the water. But instead, he flees into the desert and he goes into exile in Syria. And he's so discouraged that he says, it's enough, Lord, take my life away. I'm no better than my father's. Elijah was discouraged and depressed. And how, how could that be, though, after seeing this supernatural, magnificent display of God's power? Why did Elijah want to die? The answer is because he thought he was all alone. He thought he was the only one left who was the true worshiper of God. God comes and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm, I'm all alone. I, even only I, am left. And they seek my life and they want to take it away from me. So God, um, if you read the story in detail, God actually comes and there's a fire and there's an earthquake and there's a wind. And, and then God comes and Elijah hears God's voice. And what he tells them to do, he says, I want you to go back to Israel. I want you to anoint a new king. And you know what, Elijah? There are 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. There are 7,000 faithful followers of Yahweh in Israel. And God reminds Elijah, Elijah, no, you are not alone. You are not the only one. Elijah had seen this spectacular supernatural display of God's power. And yet because he thought he was the only one who was loyal to God, he was the only one following God, that no one else believed like he did. He wanted to die. He thought everybody was out to get him. God didn't mean for us to follow him alone. God didn't mean for us to feel like we were the only ones who believe in him and are loyal to him. God made us to follow him in community. He made us to follow him with others who are encouraging us, who are building us up, who are helping us learn and discern and worship together to help us figure out how do we proclaim the kingdom of God? How do we do the work that we are called to do? Do you know, when you look at the early church in in the Gospels and then in the book of Acts, when you look at the early church, every time that there was a critical moment, every time there was a crucial change that was happening, the disciples came together, right? So after Jesus' death and resurrection, where were the disciples? They came together in the the upper, upper room. And they were talking and they're trying to discern what what were all these things jesus said what did the prophecies in the old testament say and how do we understand what's going on 40 days later after jesus had been with them and he ascended into heaven where did they go again they went back together in the upper room in Jerusalem and they were there together and a few days later on Pentecost the Holy Spirit came to them and Peter gets up and preaches a sermon and explains this is what God is doing this is the message that we've heard from the beginning it's because they when there was a crucial moment in the transition of what the gospel was as it was being revealed to them it's in moments like that that the church the early church came together you see that throughout the rest of acts when Um, when there was a question about how the Gentiles would follow Jesus and what would it mean for them. Did they have to convert to Judaism or not? The apostles, the elders, gathered together in Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. Not only does God want us to have friendship and to be encouraged by other Christians, but we've also been given a task to do, to proclaim the kingdom of God in every part of the world to every people group that's around us. And we need each other's encouragement and cooperation and help to make that happen. And that is the, the purpose of Transform Minnesota. As Kim introduced, uh, I've been the president at Transform Minnesota for 16 years. And we are an evangelical network of churches from around the state of Minnesota, hundreds of churches that connect with each other, that learn together. And our desire is to connect and equip. Evangelical churches to bring hope to people's souls and healing to their lives. And just like Elijah, who um, even though he had seen God's power on display, even though he had seen God victorious, when, when we are left alone, we get discouraged. And pastors and leaders and Christians today, we need each other. We need each other to be encouraged, to work through the challenging circumstances Together, And so on a day-to-day basis, our work at Transform Minnesota looks the shape, it takes the shape and the form of pastors' conferences, of training seminars, of small group gatherings. Um, and our motto that we have is to say, where church leaders engage complex issues from a biblical perspective, where church leaders, where Christians engage complex issues from a biblical perspective. You know, even before uh, the pandemic began a few years ago, we were facing a lot of complexities and a lot of challenges and a lot of headwind in the church. I remember a time about 10 years sitting with a group of pastors and we were doing some planning and asking questions. And uh, they said to me, they said, Carl, these are the things that we have to deal with. These are the things that we're wrestling with in the church today. Issues like race sexuality, immigration, Islam, cultural identity. These are things that we have to learn and we have to wrestle with. We have to go to the Bible and say, how does the Bible help us understand it? And so those have been the topics. Those have been the issues that we gather leaders together. We provide training and conferences and we try and bring the best thought leaders together, create small groups, helping churches all across the state of Minnesota navigate issues like this today. You know, even if you if you think about that, this was about ten years ago. We weren't even the idea of a pandemic wasn't even on our minds, right? I mean, the thought of what we've experienced the last two years, none of that was even crossing our mind uh, back then. But um, in August of 2020, so this is about six months into the pandemic. You know, we had all experienced this just unbelievable change and disruption in our lives. We'd seen, we'd experienced. Um, shutdowns and closures and all of our churches had all of a sudden go to virtual worship when we were wondering, um, God, when is this going to end? And our sentiment, I think, was we wanted to get back to normal, right? We wanted to get back to normal, whatever that was. And there was a columnist uh, in August of 2020, there was a columnist who wrote an article and the title of it was called Waking Up in 2030. The point of his article was this, that all the lockdowns, all of the social upheavals, all of the uh, accelerated technological changes had accelerated changes that were happening in our lives and in our society, even in our churches. That instead of getting through the pandemic and hoping on, you know, New Year's Day 2021, we'd wake up in 2021, he said, whenever this pandemic ends, it's going to be like waking up in 2030. We're going to experience 10 years or more worth of change in the span of a short year or two. And for many churches, that's also been the case. It's been the case that we've gone through lots of changes. We've we've wrestled with how do we adapt to new forms of gathering and to new social patterns? And I can tell you from my interaction and conversation with pastors all across the Twin Cities and around Minnesota That this has been, the last two years have been the hardest leadership season of pastors' lives. If you're a leader in any kind of organization, it's probably been the hardest leadership season that you've experienced. But especially for pastors, it's been the hardest leadership season that they have experienced. And so what we've been trying to do at Transform is at the beginning of the pandemic, we gathered pastors by Zoom, and we talked about what does virtual worship look like. We started to gather denominational leaders, leaders who are responsible for hundreds of churches, and we gave them a place to sit together and to convene and to talk and compare notes and to figure out how do we lead all of these churches that are in our care. And incredible things have been happening because the followers of Jesus have stuck together through this season. I want to tell you about a few of those today. Um, One of those is something called the One Fund. And I know actually that there are some people here at Chapel Hill that contributed to this um, fund. It was called the One Fund. And the idea at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a couple pastors that got together and said, we realized that African-American churches um, are really suffering financially and we want to do something to help them out so that they don't have to close their doors. And so a handful of pastors got together and they gave their stimulus check into a fund of money. And they said, let's, let's put our money together and we're going to just send a gift to these African-American churches and try and support them and help them keep their doors open. Well, we had an idea that maybe we could raise $50,000 or maybe you know, after a while we thought, okay, maybe we can get $100,000. Well, that one fund has raised almost a million dollars. Since it started in 2020, there have been 38 churches that have given gifts to that one fund. 38 churches, and they have accounted for almost half of the entire gift that has been given. There have been 63 churches, 63 African-American churches and ministries that have gotten a gift from the one fund because Christians pooled their resources and said, we're going to stand with each other. There was another um, gathering that happened. It was called Pray for Minnesota. And at the, uh, in, about a, in the fall after uh, the death of George Floyd, a number of pastors, black and white pastors praying and, and in relationship to each other said, we know what's going to happen is that there's going to be a trial and we don't know what kind of tension, we don't know what's going to happen, but one thing we can do now is we, be, we can begin to connect as pastors, we can begin to prepare our hearts and our relationships. So let's pray together. And so over a course of about six months, every other week on a Monday afternoon, there was this leadership group of black and white pastors that connected with each other on Zoom. And we, and we prayed together and we talked about, we said, we want to pray for peace and justice in, when this trial of Derek Chauvin happens. And, and what does that look like? And when you have black and white Christians together and you pay, pray for peace And justice, you're going to have different definitions of what that is. But this group of leaders hung together and talked with each other and wrestled through. And what happened is at the beginning of the trial on a Sunday afternoon, there were nearly 400 pastors that gathered outside the Hennepin County Courthouse on a Sunday afternoon to pray God's blessing to say, we're going to step into this place and we're going to intercede and we're going to ask God that that it's not in our hands, it's in God's hands and that God is going to bring... Uh, what he desires out of this. And we as Christians are going to commit, we as clergy are going to commit that we're going to stand with each other, that Jesus is what holds us together rather than the things of the world that pull us in one direction or the other. Some other ways that we've seen Christians working together are slowly but surely making a difference. One of them is called Sankofa. We actually just took a group of 32 black and white Christian leaders on a Sankofa a journey to harmony. What this is, is a, a four-day trip where we travel to civil rights sites in the South. And the idea of it is to look back at the past to understand the present. Right? To look back at the past so we can understand the present. And we do this in, in relationship. And out of that, over the last four trips, we've taken with we've taken about 120 leaders from the Twin Cities, black and white Christian leaders from the Twin Cities, 120 of these leaders are slowly beginning to form deep-rooted foundations of relationships and connections with each other. And from these relationships, they are ministering together and they are serving in their churches. And God is, God is changing things in the city slowly. Arrive Ministries is one of our affiliate ministries. I want to tell you about some other things that we see God doing in the ways that that churches and Christians have come together. So Arrive Ministries welcomes refugees and immigrants. And last summer, if you remember at the end of August, there was this crisis in Afghanistan and thousands of Afghan refugees uh, ended up in the United States on military basis. And we were asked to resettle them and to help them. And we we had not even enough volunteers and church teams but at the same time, what happened was churches began to volunteer. Church teams, good neighbor teams began to come together. And you can see there that there were, um, there were about 247 people in a span of six months that arrived ministries helped, which is multiple times more than what we had been prepared and staffed to do. And so at the same time as there was this refugee crisis, God mobilized hundreds of volunteers from churches. We hadn't Today, we have 90 church teams, good neighbor teams at churches, organized and adopting and helping and welcoming these refugee families. So at the same time as we saw this unprecedented increase of, of refugee arrivals, God has mobilized and pushed the church forward to say, here we are, we're ready to help, we're ready to welcome them. You know, when, when Russia invaded Ukraine in February, a lot of millions of refugees fled into Ukraine. Uh, Poland and Hungary. And I was talking to a ministry partner who used to smuggle Bibles into behind the Iron Curtain. And he went there to Poland in March to visit some of the Christians that he knew there. And when he got there, what he saw was that there were churches who had uh, taken the pews out of their uh, buildings and taken the chairs and ripped them out and put them outside. And instead they put mattresses on the floor in order that the refugees from Ukraine had a place to live. These Polish churches opening their uh, churches. And, ta- and and so this is in March, right? And they put everything outside and instead they, they made space for people to sleep. New Life Family Services is one of our, another of our affiliate ministries. Uh, their response to crisis pregnancy, just like what Amnion uh, does, is to, to actually support women after their baby is born. Which for those of us who've had kids, it means you need lots of diapers, right? Lots of diapers. And so this spring, one of the things New Life did was they wanted to, they hosted something called the world's largest bi- diaper drive. And a lot of churches jumped in and stepped in around the metro and in Rochester and, and did a diaper drive. They ended up collecting over 100,000 diapers. This is just a small little picture. They actually had to use a couple trucks to truck 100,000 diapers diapers. Maybe you look around your neighborhood and you feel all alone. You wonder, where, where are the other Christians? Maybe you look at your workplace, um, your life, and you wonder, is anybody else following Jesus like me? Is anybody else doing and believing the way I do? Or maybe you look at the news and you see the news about shootings and death Or you hear the terrible things that happen to kids in our society today. Or you watch relationships that grow violent and even deadly. And maybe you get discouraged and you wonder, what can I do about all of that? God, I just feel like I'm just one person all here, all by myself. What can I do? God reminded Elijah that there were 7,000 people in Israel who hadn't worshipped Baal. I want to remind us today that in our city, in our state, that there are tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of Christians who are following Jesus, who are serving God, who are making an impact, who are changing lives, who are bringing hope to people's souls, bringing healing to their lives. And we need each other. And I want to invite you to think about some ways that you can join with other Christians. Think about some ways that you can be part of Maybe you need the encouragement of connecting with other Christians and knowing you're not all alone. You're not the only one. Or maybe there's a person who needs you as an answer to prayer to, for you to step alongside, for you to step into their life, to remind them they're not alone. So here are, here are four things um, I'm going to invite you to think about doing. One, one of those is to worship together. We need to gather in our in our church and our congregation like we are here today and those who are joining online. We need to worship together. You know, in the, in the height of the pandemic, when we were stuck at home, I, I worship at a church in Minneapolis and our shutdown was longer than most others. You know, I was able to keep my faith alive by, by praying, by reading the Bible, by spending, you know, intense time by myself. We watched church online. We talked to people on the phone. But do you know what I really, my soul was aching for? My soul was aching to be in a room with other Christians worshiping and experiencing the presence and the Spirit of God with us. Because I I could pray to God, I could read the Bible, and I believed it, and God showed up in some ways for me to encourage me, but I also needed other people. I needed other Christians in my life. And so one of the things I invite you to do is to worship with others. A second thing is to engage with your denomination. Chapel Hill is part of Converge, a movement of other churches that is planting churches, that has uh, children's camp, has, has men's retreat, um, where, where leaders are encouraging each other. Engage with your denomination. Engage with your, your, you know, your faith tribe, the people who are most likely because you need them and they need you. A third thing I would invite you to do is to think about how do you link with your neighborhood churches? How do you link and connect and collaborate with the other churches here in the city of Egan and the communities it where you live? When it comes to meeting the needs of people and being a witness for Jesus Christ, you're not alone and neither are they alone. We need to be connected to each other, working together. And a fourth thing I would invite you to do is to partner with ministry organizations. Partner with, like Transform Minnesota, I, I am so grateful and appreciate the ways this church has partnered with us and the other partners that you've been talking about, um, Damascus Way Reentry Center, Pastor Tier was here last week, another one of our affiliate ministries. You know, God has given us a, a call to proclaim the kingdom of God, and we can't do that alone. We can't do it by ourselves, we can't do it as a single church, and we need partners in other kind of organizations to help us do that. You know, after God reminded Elijah that there were 7,000 other people that were still true to him, Elijah went back to Israel and he found Elisha, a young man who was out in the field plowing. Elijah went back to Elisha and he put his mantle on him and he called him to be a prophet of God as well, to become his successor. Do you know, when Elisha earlier was out there in the desert and he felt all alone, he wanted to die. But if he would have done that, his legacy would have ended right there. But God wasn't done with him yet. God wanted Elijah to go back and he wanted him to influence Elisha, who would follow him afterwards. So the question maybe today is, who is the young person in your life who you need to encourage? Who do you need to bless and support and to remind them that that they aren't alone either, that there are other followers of Jesus, there are others of you connected? Who is the person in the next generation after you that you are helping to raise up to follow God? Not only do we need the encouragement and the collaboration of other Christians here and now to advance God's kingdom, but the generation that comes after us, they need our participation too. They need us to pour into their lives. So today we can, we can celebrate, we can rejoice at everything that God is doing, and we can be encouraged by the thousands of Christ followers who are making a profound difference in the cities and in the communities and the towns all across Minnesota. But I want to invite you to step in step in and engage with other Christians. Invest in a generation that is coming after you and encourage others who may be feeling like they are all alone today. Jesus, I thank you that you came and you have revealed yourself and we have hope in you. Jesus, I thank you that we're also not alone, that we have others who are gathered here in this room today, gathered online, not only in this place, but there are people gathered in churches all across the city, gathered other places where there are people following you and making a difference and making an impact in your kingdom. Thank you for the hope and for the encouragement that we receive from you and from each other. In your name, Jesus, we pray.